welcome to Down the Rabbit Hole, episode 83, with two new topics. How are you, Carl? Oh, I'm fine, Rafa. Obviously, we're Zooming because, uh, you know, the memory of what we used to do in the before times is uh, fading yeah. rapidly. In the new normality, new reality. I don't know how can we call it better, but yeah. we I have to how, adapt. Yeah. I don't know how the word normal can be applied to what we're doing. That's hey, true. Here we are, right? Yes, and we have a guest again today. She has been before with us. Yes, uh, Denise. Um, no doubt she will introduce herself in her segment. And we're interested in bringing in uh, fresh voices, and uh, this is one for you. Yep, you should expect us to have more guests coming on into the show. And I think you will enjoy enjoy that that. And the topics today, one is around uh, James Lovelock, if you don't know who he is, keep mm -hmm. listening, because you should know who he is. And the other one is about a rather mysterious thing. Yeah. Um, the magnetic sixth sense. Yeah. In humans. Can humans detect magnetic fields? Mm-hmm. Super interesting one. I, I know humans who can't even detect irony, so, you know. That's for sure, yeah. Who, who knows, right? <laughs> well, let's listen to the show of today, and we'll see you at the end. Cool. Environment. Yeah, Rafa, so uh, maverick scientist. We love those, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're where all the action is. So this is about can humans detect the Earth's magnetic field. We know, mm -hmm. that, we know that some birds can do it. We know that some fish can do it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, lobsters can do it. Turtles, Turtles especially. Turtles can do it. They're really good at it, apparently. Oh, super good. Super fine uh, senses. Yeah, like resolution yeah. or something. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, can humans do it? And um, this guy, uh, Joe Kirschvink, is a geophysicist at Caltech. He has been on this for some time, and he's mm -hmm. come up with this really quite of quite fascinating experimental setup. Yeah, and in his basement of his laboratory, he has built this uh, Faraday cage where you can put somebody inside it, sat on a non-magnetic chair, mm -hmm. and the um, the uh, the box that they're sitting in is one of these Faraday cages that blocks out electromagnetic uh, yeah. uh, signals. And the so basically it blocks out any effect of the Earth's magnetic field. And also any uh, devices around you. Yeah, all the stuff, Wi-Fi, yeah, cell phones, TV, cell phones. all yeah. that stuff. We're mm -hmm. completely surrounded with it, right? And what he's done is uh, inside the Faraday cage he's put these three sets of coils that can be programmed to create directional magnetic fields uh -huh. that are kind of close to the same strength as the Earth's magnetic field, mm -hmm. which is blocked inside. Yeah. And basically what they do is they hook up EEG to the uh, subject who sits in the, yeah. in the thingy, and in the, um, in the box above the... Subject's head is a magnetometer that tells them which direction the field's in yeah. that they're creating just as confirmation. Uh -huh. 
And basically what they have found is that um, they have found a clear signal. They, they've only completed the um, study with about 12 subjects. Yep. But what they found was that by um, when they varied the direction of the field and the field directions that were being imposed were chosen randomly mm-hmm. to avoid, obviously... Yeah, to avoid you know, any... Make it a, a blind yeah. thing, right? To avoid any kind of influence. Influencing that decision. So, yeah. so the person who was the setting the reaction. magnetic field didn't know which direction it was going to be in, and the subject didn't know. Anyway, what they found was uh, that the EEG was showing them a clear neural response. Response to the change in mm-hmm. the field direction. And the key thing about the neural signal was that it was delayed. So they changed the field and then about 100 milliseconds is about a tenth, yeah. of, tenth of a second, they'd see a neural response from the EEG. Yeah. And what that tells the uh, scientists is that that is not an interference effect, obviously because there's uh-huh. a lot of... A lot of cables floating yes. around it's not a cable effect because that would be immediate uh-huh. it is actually what they call a brain processing effect mm-hmm. so it would appear these were results were announced quite recently in london at a conference yeah so it would appear that there is very compelling evidence that despite hundreds of millions of years separating separating us out from our animal cousins that have these yeah. abilities and still use them. Because we all come from our same, from uh, the same origins, let's say, in a way. same party bacteria that, that same, got together yeah, some time ago. Pool party. Yeah, pool party. Yeah. The original pool party. Exactly, yeah. that's the original pool party. Exactly. Um, it would seem that uh, maybe there is a vestige yeah. of this effect still in us and that, uh, generally speaking, our industrialised society is kind of just blanking it out. Yeah, and we were discussing that basically if this ability is still there, yeah. a lot of people talk about a sixth sense. Yeah, exactly. Which in the end, it could be even related to this, you know, some kind of all ancient ability that we could yeah. possess. But modern technology blocks with all the electromagnetic fields, exactly. maybe that ability. Exactly. Now, we were discussing also of that uh, this study will not only help for deciding if we have or not this ability, but... Yeah. Maybe it can be used for other processing areas, to, yeah. like uh, you were saying. Um, uh, yeah, like VR. Right? VR. Um, you know, the, this kind of stuff. So, yeah. you know, we, we know that VR currently uses various means to mm-hmm. pick up direction. Uh, but, of course, it's, you know, head turning and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, but this signal uh, that they're picking up is the equivalent of, instead of moving the head, they're moving the field. The moving the fields and yeah. the brain reacts. So, so you can imagine that yeah. if you set it up correctly, then obviously it could pick up mm-hmm. if your head was moving. Super interesting topic that could be even for sci-fi novel, yeah. you know, yeah, develop controls with this. Well, there's all kinds of, you can then think, you know, there are variations in the Earth's magnetic field due to various natural mm-hmm. occurrences and it may be... From time to time, people pick these up and the brain is kind of uh, interpreting it as some uh, phenomena, right? Exactly. Who knows? Who knows? Very interesting. It's really, really interesting. Look at the links. (laughs) 
Yes, yeah, so Rafa, we've kind of uh, talked about this before, and uh-huh. this this guy, James Lovelock. Yes, and, we had. Yeah, and his theory. What originally it was called the Gaia hypothesis, but it's kind mm-hmm. of commonly known as the Gaia theory. And uh, joining us today, we have a guest, uh, Denise. Good morning, Denise. Uh, good morning, Carla. Hello, Rafa. Denise. Hello. Um, how are you today? I am very well, thank you. Oh, that's wonderful. Rafa, how are yeah. you? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. 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 <laughs> Ready I'll, to go on. I'll carry on now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah. So James Lovelock, um, big year for him this year. He's 101 years old. Oh, that! that first Amazing. of all, that's an, an accomplishment already. Exactly. It's incredible, right? And he's achieved a lot in his life. He obviously uh, developed this concept, the Gaia theory where what he proposed was that the earth the biosphere of uh-huh. the earth is a very complex uh, kind of feedback mechanism a kind of a living entity kind basically. of it's kind of it's so complex you could almost look at it yeah. as being alive uh, the jedi would say a, a symbiotic relationship symbiotic absolutely yeah Damn, you mentioned the Jedi. Uh, I had to. You had to. It needed to be said, I yep. think. So, yeah, so what do you, um, what's your take on uh, Mr. Lovelock, Denise? Oh, I think he's a pretty cool dude. For 101, he's I very mean, cool. Yeah, and, and uh, I saw an interview with him uh, recently on the BBC and uh, he came across as a very kind of full of beans type of person at 101. <laughs> yeah. And it's quite interesting considering that some of the stuff he predicts is pretty... Uh, devastating for the world you know that it's yeah. you know the global warming and it's all going to end and uh, all this kind of stuff so uh, yeah. I, I i think he's a pretty cool dude and i love his his quote um which was uh the biosphere and i are both in the last one percent of our lives yes we very all, apt we all yeah. we all felt that was a cheery message for the <laughs> for the day didn't we so yeah uh, he's comfortable in the fact that he's not going to be around when it all goes pear-shaped. Um, but he uh, predicted some 14, 15 years ago now that extreme weather events would become the norm. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he was regarded as a maverick way before then <laughs> and yeah. uh, an outsider and a crank. A Gandalf. A Gandalf as well, yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet, here we are in 2020, and the things that he uh, predicted would happen are happening. Yes, uh, basically, his all his in his theories and everything, mm. he's predicting that Earth is going to try to heal uh, yeah. itself. Yeah, and guess what? The problem is us. Yes, <laughs> us basically. And there is uh, an article that we also checked. Uh, for this uh, topic today, oh, yeah. in where it's mentioned about, uh, of course, viruses, and mm. guess which virus they are talking about. Mm. And uh, part of, uh, in part of it is saying that uh, it's a self-regulation of Earth, the creation of this virus, or the reason that this virus appeared... Has emerged. Has emerged, jumping from animal yeah. to humans. Uh, a way to regulate how yeah. Earth is uh, being exploited and it's you know, part suffered. of the feedback mechanism yeah. right mm-hmm. so yeah so he actually says that things like uh, viruses are inevitably going to occur as an uh, as an attempt by the 
by Gaia mm-hmm. to correct the things that are, you know, kind of wrecking the habitat, which is, you know, quite an astonishing assertion, really. Um, but as he says, um, the problem with his ideas in terms of getting governments to kind of get on board is that they're just they're, they're just too radical. Right? Yeah. They don't – there is no kind of synergy between his ideas and how our economies run. They're just uh-huh. – they're just – they might as well be matter and antimatter, you know? Yeah. And he has done a lot of things. Not only uh, the theory of Gaia, he's an inventor. He is basically. an inventor, yeah. Um, and he had a, obviously had a very long career. He's he's a scientist that is not aligned with any particular university or no. anything like that. But uh, back in the day, and I think we're talking about um, early sixties, I think it was. Mm-hmm. He actually invented. He worked for the Medical Research Council in the UK. And he invented a thing called an electron capture detector. This is so cool, this thing. I know. And he and apparently this uh, later revealed the presence of ozone-depleting gases in the stratosphere uh-huh. and pollutants in air, soil, and water. And, um, but everything started yeah. because of developing a method of freezing hamsters. So <laughs> they could just lump yeah. them, you know, bang them yeah. on the table. Nothing happens. Yeah, he, and then bring them back to life. Yeah, that's right. He quite oh. casu- he quite casually throws into this interview that, yeah. as part of his work, he uh, <laughs> came up with this method of freezing hamsters so that there were lumps of ice that you could bang on a table, and then they would um, they would warm them up and they would come back to life. Yep. And uh, he believes that one of the reasons for that, that that works, mm-hmm. is to do with their, the fat in their bodies and the, that it has and a the freezing point. Freezing yeah. point, yeah, which is interesting, right? Uh, so, yes, so this electron capture detector was pretty uh, amazing. And, in fact, NASA uh, approached him for the moon landing projects back in the mm-hmm. late 60s, and uh, his detector was actually used not only in the moon landing uh, projects, but in the later Mars projects. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, he's just done so much, I think. Um, That's so, probably why he's lived to a ripe old age of 101. Well, well, the thing about it is that he's remained kind of fully engaged, doesn't exactly. he? With, he's with still it. doing interviews at 100 or 101. Yeah. <laughs> and he uh, totally... You know, he's never been deterred from his thinking. Yeah, to still speak in a lucid way. Yeah, totally. And um, somebody once asked him whether the Gaia theory uh, might form the basis of a a religious-type creed (laughs) um, for future generations. And uh, he kind of, uh, in this interview on the eve of his 101st birthday... He said that um, nobody fully comprehends Gaia, and that includes himself, but it's an easier thing to understand than God and religion because you have to take those for granted, whereas with Gaia, you can go out into the world and just measure things. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's a, obviously he's a very practical fellow, and 
he was asked about whether he was himself religious mm-hmm. and he said, no, I was brought up as a Quaker. Now, now most people would, would think of Quakerism as a religion, yeah. but it's not really because they don't believe in a deity. And he says in the article that he was indoctrinated with the, the notion that God is simply a still, small voice within yourself rather than some mysterious old gentleman and that uh, he thinks that intuition, because he's, because he's an inventor and an, mm-hmm. an ideas guy, intu- intuition comes from that voice and is uh, the greatest gift for an inventor. So, yeah. So he... Um, Talking about what we can do about climate change, there is obviously this big subject, geoengineering, mm-hmm. which is massive interference with natural processes. Uh, he doesn't like that idea. Um, he thinks that if we start messing with this Gaia system, it's going to end in disaster. Uh, but he does like... Another idea, which is to put a little, yeah, like, like little umbrella, yeah, umbrellas kind of thing, in front of the sun, in front of the sun, <laughs> and they will be, they will be large, but he thinks it is possible. I mean, I mean, what do you think of that, Denise? That's a very benign thing. It doesn't. It's it's outside of interfering with, you know, natural. It's just like a little sunshade. It's a little. That is exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. And he said. You know, at least uh, it could be made fail safe, so that they could move it or yeah, mm-hmm. or whatever. I don't know. What do you think of that, Rafa? Well, it's like trying to also a little bit cover the sun with your hand, you know, yeah, exactly. or with a cap. Yeah, well, it's no different to putting an umbrella. An umbrella, yeah. exactly. And if temperatures are going up so 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 much that 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 uh, we can't grow anything or uh, live or live, then I think that's a really sound idea. You would have thought that was more worth trying than some of this other stuff of. Yeah. You know, putting iron filings in the ocean and, mm-hmm. you know, and all that stuff. Anyway, super smart guy. Yep. We love him. Let's hope he lives a Another bit Another 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> Another, yeah, at this point, yeah, you have to go like, or year by year or no more than 10 for sure. <laughs> 10 years, yeah, thanks. That's good news. Yeah. I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Anyway, there you go. Wow, Rafa. So what about that um, James Lovelock? What a guy, right? Yeah, super interesting. And we already, we, we talked before uh, about that in episode seven. If you want to go theory, check it out. Huh? Yeah. The Gaia Theory. Actually, it was episode six and seven, both. Oh, yes. Yeah. People should check that out. Definitely. And uh, also the, the magnetic... Uh, sense in humans that was really good as well yeah i mean what do you think about that do you think it's there's something there i think there could be something there yes i think i think i agree with you i think it's probably going to be there is something there but it's incredibly subtle but like in a lot of these kind of things you know they're like um there are certain individuals who probably have a more developed due to genetics or something. Exactly, a bit, yeah. 
a bit like, you know, there's this thing with people at the moment who have been found that they can, uh, we all know about like dogs being trained to smell explosives or whatever, but we also know there are dogs that have been trained to smell disease, right? Yeah, that's right. And and, and there are actually uh, well-documented, uh, studied examples of humans who can smell disease as well. There's one very good case. I don't know whether we've covered it. I don't think we have. I don't think we did, no, no, no. So again, right, if, if obviously we all have a sense of smell, yeah. but it would appear that some people have a more acute sense than others, and maybe the same thing applies to this magnetic sensing. Definitely. And don't forget to get, uh, leave your comments uh, down in the website or send us a message through Facebook. Just find a way. There's always ways to communicate with us. There's always a way. Yes. And if you want to suggest as well new topics, go ahead and do it. We are always open for suggestions. And we talk and, to you next week, right? Yeah. And maybe catch those earlier episodes six and seven. Exactly. Go check them out. For sure. Thank you, Carl. Then Thanks. talk to you next week. Thanks, Rafa. Bye. See you. Bye.